Blog Talk Radio. As a little shout out to uh, the, what is it? What is it called again? The the, the projections or what? Are, what are you talking about here? That that we're projected. Uh, the S and P projections are not kind to the minor football team. We're talking about the YouTube song one is uh, actually projecting UTEP's wins. Is that what we're saying? A four point win over UAB over your Thanksgiving holiday, and that's. What the S&P projections are going to project for a 0-2 start for the UTEP Miners. Well, ladies and gentlemen, things have gone from bad to worse. I'm Anthony Salome. This is Alex Nicholas. This is the Rush Podcast brought to you by SB Nation and Minor Rush. Y'all know what to do. Man. 347-934-0951 is a call in. We welcome all trolls, Rutgers fans. Um, but if you block your number, we won't answer. <laughs> so if you want to troll, your number unblocked, and you'll get us. So... We we have a special guest on the show today, uh, coming to us from I, I don't have the, the name in front of me. It's Rick DeNice, but the name of the the site. I'm sorry. There, that's a that's a that's Wildcat, Wildcat Radio, Radio. and that's just, that's from uh, SB Nation's AZ Der- Desert Storm. That's what it is. So that's their podcast. He'll be joining us to break down the cats. Definitely got a lot of football to cover. I'm uh, telling you though that the first thing I saw when I saw the DMs. Uh, I saw him slide up in the DMs. <laughs> was that Key and Peele skit? If y'all haven't seen that, check out Key and Peele, where uh, he's a substitute teacher. He's talking about D Nice. He's pronouncing the names wrong, but that was the first thing that came to mind when I heard Rick's last name. Uh, little but, UTEP basketball news. Let's start there. Let's, let's start yeah, with the little UTEP basketball it, news before we get into the football issues or whatever you want to call it. But we have issues. Oh, gosh, just. We'll get to that in a minute. Hold on, I'm trying to get warmed up here. So, <laughs> but Keith Frazier, um, I, I would think he's a familiar name to UTEP fans. I mean, this is a guy that was recruited. I want to say in 2013 by UTEP. I don't think UTEP had a chance, but they offered him. Goes to SMU, um, has whatever what happened with, with Larry Brown in that situation there. Goes to North Texas, uh, mid year I think of, of his last year at SMU, um, and then is eligible or eligible or, or comes off injury in mid-December, only plays four games, hit seven three-pointers in those four games, and then he shut down because of sore knees, and now he only played four games. And now we were hearing last week that he was on campus enrolling. We verified that he was that he did enroll. This was actually last Friday that he was, he was locked in. And then today, UTEP finally officially announced it. It was reported yesterday, but Keith Frazier, a minor. But there's a little kind of a, I don't want to say like a red flag, but there's kind of like a disclaimer there where he still hasn't been granted that extra medical year, which is kind of my whole gist of this whole deal with Keith Frazier was how eligible is he, you know, from an academic standpoint and also from a medical standpoint. And I mean, you know what, on the outside, it looks good. You're adding a former All-American, a former four-star, a guy that can shoot lights out. But I mean, at this point, how desperate is Tim Floyd to get a guy with so much baggage like that? You know, a guy that, that had, you know, while he was sitting out at, at North Texas, had a couple of warrants that he was arrested on. You know, this guy's been through some shit. I mean, there's no denying that. And and we'll get to the basketball fit in a minute. But, I mean, I, I just – I'm not fully sold on this. 
Like, I mean, we we, 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 we kind of get these guys and, and, you know, that Floyd's been able to get. And usually, you know, we're kind of hype. You know, we're kind of like, oh, okay. You know, that could happen. But I just, it's a good pickup, like, in terms of, of bringing some immediate help. But I'm not sold on the fact that this kid can, can go through a Tim Floyd basketball season. And when I say that, I think most of you that listen to this regularly understand when I say that. I mean, Tim Floyd has a different style than a lot of people. You know, I, I just... I don't know. I, I, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if we're going to see Keith Frazier in the February conference game against UAB or whatever it is. I don't even know if that's right. But you see what I'm saying? I just I don't know how good of a fit this is in a, in a, to a chemistry standpoint, to a program standpoint, into what Tim Floyd's been trying to go away from, getting away from kind of the highly heralded kids, the kids that have the, the great issues and whatever it may be, you know, this is a risk and a half. I mean, to me, comparing this to Dominic Artis, and I mean, Dominic Artis had a, a pretty gnarly situation to say the least. I really think this is more of a risk than Dominic Artis because this seemed like Dominic Artis was kind of grew from that. We don't know about, I have, you know, maybe when I speak to Keith Frazier, Dominic maybe if Artis, I get to meet Dominic him. Dominic Artis was also still young. Yeah, exactly. Because he, he played one year at Oregon and then had to sit out and then came back and he had two years here, whatever, but you know, he, he was still young when he came through. And, um, you know, I, 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 uh, I noticed a tweet that we got on uh, a mention on Twitter from, uh, I'm sorry, what's his name? Is it Michael? Is that, is that, or am I, 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 I don't remember the one year. Yeah, it's Michael G. Minor front row. He's a loyal supporter of Minor Rush and Utah sports. And he, yeah, I just, I just noticed this earlier. And he said the fact that Tim Floyd is bringing in a one-year guy should indicate he thinks this team will compete. And, I don't necessarily disagree with him. Like, I, I agree that, that Tim Floyd thinks that this guy could be the piece that could kind of put him over the top, you know, maybe be competitive in Conference USA. I don't know how – I mean, he hasn't exactly done much in his career. No. So, I don't, I don't expect him to come in here and be this 25-point game exactly. scorer. And, I'm never you know, going so to that. I don't know how that's going to fit. But, I mean, I, I don't disagree with Michael G. I just think I'm more on your end as far as this is a desperation move. This is this is uh, Tim Floyd uh, grasping at straws here. This is this is I mean year after year with the disappointments that he's had, with the defections that he's had, and um, things just haven't gone the way that we as minor fans have expected. You know he had an opportunity here to lock in a kid like this, a former All American, and with the hope that he could come in and be a piece that could turn them into a winning team. Uh, we we still don't know how that'll translate. I mean, as far as it being a risk. I don't know. I mean, yeah, he's had some issues in the past. Um, I think what's, what's the worst that happens here? You know, I, I would I would assume the kid's going to have his head on straight if he's got one year of eligibility left. He's not going to try to – He could have gone pro that. if he wanted to. Exactly. So, you know, I think I think he's he's probably not so much of a risk, you know, to get into trouble or academically or legally or anything like that. Um, the biggest thing is just whether or not he's going to be eligible for the season. Um, because of that medical redshirt, and well, that's still yet to be seen. But at the same time, we we had that available scholarship. So does it really hurt us? You know, I mean, I think we we had that uh, Dutrieve kid that we talked about a little bit. That mm-hmm. Devonte Dutrieve, Devonte is doesn't it? Devonte yeah. Dutrieve kids come through, and there were some high hopes that he might be uh, signing. But looks but like he's a prop forty. Like like he's a prop forty-eight kid. So whether he's here or not, yeah. Um, again, I think I think more than anything, it's just. It's hope. It's just hoping that this kid can be a, a, a change, a game changer for this team. Um, but the way that things have gone with Tim Floyd, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of 
tapering exactly. my expectations, just kind of exactly. keeping them down just a little bit. I'm not going to expect too much out of this um, because obviously it's more than just getting players. You know, we, we haven't seen a team since maybe some of his early guys that came in, you know, with the Washburns and those kind of guys that, that really have bought into what he's selling. Every day bought in. Not, and, not one day feeling it, yeah, one day I'm having a bad day, you know, Floyd. Yeah. So you have like your Bohannon and your Washburns and those guys that really bought into the system. And, and, and we haven't seen that in the last couple of years. And so um, it's not just a matter of just bringing in guys, even though he's a great prospect or was at one point or, you know, has great, tremendous talent. It's just a matter of can you put it together and can you get this team to produce at the level that you need them to produce at to, to be an NCAA tournament? Because in the end, that's all that matters. I mean, it's, I don't know how many more years we're going to give Tim Floyd, um, but I, I, I definitely side more with you in, in saying that I think this is definitely a reach and it's just in hopes that he can provide some kind of spark, some kind of impact, whether that be veteran leadership, you know, um, or just the fact that he's got experience, you know, that, that that's just something that, that's brought to the table. Now, when you lose a guy like Dominic Artis and those type of players, you know, so we'll see what happens, man. I mean, I can't say I'm disappointed in the pickup, but yeah. I, I'm just, I'm just holding off on my expectations just a little bit until we actually see what this, entire team has. I mean, since 2013, the guys played in, in one season where exactly. he's had more than 30 games. Um, you know, looking at this from a basketball standpoint now and how he fits with UTEP, I mean, you, you throw him in with already you, – you need a point guard. There's no doubt about that. I mean, point guards, and you can say whatever you want to say about whatever happened in, in Costa Rica. That, to me, is kind of a moot point now. But, I mean, you, you need that point guard. So now you're throwing in another two scoring guards, and you already have a volume two scoring guard like Omega Harris – you have a, a potential high percentage, high volume score in Isaiah Osborne. Not only that, but you have another guy that may not be a shooter, but he's definitely a, a scorer in Trey Wade, a guy that can get you buckets from the wing. So to me, that's kind of, I mean, I felt UTEP was really good at that two guard spot at that wing spot. I mean, yeah, you add a little bit of experience and you hope that you get that explosion. You hope that you can get that 20 point game every two or three games from him where he could just hit a couple of threes. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but I just, from a fit standpoint, basketball wise, I don't, it, it's hard to see kind of, okay, now you, you start Omega at one, at the one yeah. and you put, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's kind exactly of, that, that I honestly think that may be the only way it works. Yeah, it is. I don't see Keith Frazier being a factor off the bench on, with this particular group. You know, I, I think with this group, you know, with this particular team, Omega might have to handle the ball a little bit more than he probably expected you know, two or three months ago now that Frazier's in the mix. I don't see Keith Frazier being a guy that could come off the bench and really make a factor. I think Keith Frazier is a guy that may have to have an offense tailored to him where he gets his touches, kind of what I wanted to see Omega kind of get this year with the point guard finding him, if that makes any fucking sense of what I'm saying. But I just I, – I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's just a weird mix in terms of that chemistry. It's going to be real interesting to see how they integrate him in terms of rotation and touches, and, and not only that, but spots on the floor where he can help. I, I don't think much changes, to be completely honest with you. I think that this was already a team that was going to have to have an Omega Harris take over the point guard duties. Let's not forget that Omega was a point guard coming right. out of high school. I mean, he came in, and, and we kind of had that same question when we got Dominic Artis, and it was like, well, how is Omega and Dominic going to play side by side? But it worked out just fine. You know, right. Dominic took over the point guard duties. Omega turned into a two guard, which he's always been – a point guard slash shooting guard. So he's a combo guard already. But even if you take away Frazier, right, who's your point guard then? I mean, it was already almost 
assumed that Omega would have to take over, if not full-time, you know, starting duties, at least a, 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 bigger share, <laughs> a bigger share than he's been doing in the last couple of years. So I don't think a whole lot changes with that. I mean, I think if anything, you just get more depth to be able to rotate guys like Omega with Frazier, with uh, Osborne. Uh, but you know, don't forget about my boy Trey Wade now. That's not, I, don't, I don't want him to get forgotten and leave this team. But, I like him. But he's he's too more of a wing two three, right? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not so much going to play in at the point. Yeah, you could you could slide him in at three as well. That's there's no doubt about it. I think he might even find a home there if Jake Flaggart, you know, struggles like the way that I've seen him struggle in that scrimmage game, and then also the way that he struggled in Costa Rica. I think Tim Floyd won't hesitate to to bring in a more athletic guy, even though Jake's a more established guy in terms of knowing the system and knowing what's going on, but. It's going to be really interesting to see just that, that, that makeup and that chemistry that can get built and, and here, I mean, shit coming up here in the next couple of weeks, basketball practice starts October 1st. So, I mean, and I mean, like you said, though, the biggest thing about Keith Frazier is that medical record going to get granted. And that's kind of, that's going to be the, the radar that we're going to keep our eye on to make sure that, you know, <laughs> there's not false hope being sent out there to all y'all minor risk fans out there, man. So we'll see what it is with that basketball practice definitely starting up in a couple of weeks. And like Anthony said, I mean, it's 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 it, you can't knock Floyd for the pick, but it just kind of for the pickup. But I mean, it just it raises more questions than it does answers at this point. But that's why you got a whole month before the season to knock that out. More recruiting news: uh, 2018 Power Four Jacob Iman is it? I believe so. Jacob Iman recruit uh, commits to UTEP, six foot eight, 215 pounds. Um, this is a kid that in, in Los Alamitos put up some decent numbers as a junior, 13.9 points, 9.9 rebounds, and a couple of blocks per game. Um, I think he's more of a definitely a two star slash unrated yeah. uh, two four seven gives him three star. But um, what I thought was interesting is, and like you just mentioned, what I was kind of going to get to was the the fact that he was a, a volleyball prospect which definitely makes him right away, you know, a guy that's going to go searching for those, those spikes, yeah. you know, those blocks. And so, rebounds, too. If he could go into Hawaii, fight. Eastern Washington, and some Mountain West schools were uh, were looking into him. But that's you know, another – His sophomore year, he was, I mean, pretty bad. He only averaged like four points a game, six, you know, maybe even three rebounds. And then his junior year last year is when he really, really took off, when he really kind of put basketball in the forefront and kind of got away from volleyball. So I'm interested to see how big this kid can get his senior year, and if he does continue to, to grow on those numbers, will he sign early? So UTEP has him locked in in the Pac-12 or the Mountain West schools that were showing interest in him don't come there and show him mad love. That's kind of my question with him um, is how much can he improve to a point where, I mean, he's, he blows up even bigger than he – I mean, you know, he's not that big of a recruit like we mentioned. You know, we can give him a two-and-a-half star if you want, but, I mean, with another year playing and in, in where he plays at, with the exposure and already the Mountain West schools, I could see him – really having to average a double-double, increasing those blocks to three or four a game. Now as a senior, you're getting bigger, you get another summer, you know, to work that out. And so it's going to be really interesting to see if he signs early um, or if he keeps his options open, you know, with a good senior year. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on, in my opinion, uh, when it comes to Jacob Iman. But not a bad pickup. I like that. I, I like that. Now you got two power forwards locked in. Taj Royster, uh, Royster, Royster. He's here on campus as a Prop 48. He's already registered. I've seen him tweet a couple of things about UTEP. So you got him on lot. Um, and so now, you know, now they guard time, <laughs> guard time. That's that's what I think really you'll see Floyd. You have to. You got to replace Omega. Uh, you know, you got to re- try to replace you know a, a guy like Jake. That's gonna you know. So you, I'm looking at guard. I'm looking at a wing. I'm looking at six two, maybe a six two, another you know firecracker type guard. And then you need to get a six 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 five wing. I think that'll be a nice 
addition to this recruiting class that's kind of been very, very fluid uh, over the past couple of months in terms of who's going and who's staying. So. Definitely guards and, and still, you know, also at center, you got Matt Williams graduating, um, which is going to obviously, you know, leave a big hole there. You got Kelvin Jones and you can hope that he continue that he continues to progress and turn into, Pierre, but you know, like what we saw with, uh, with uh, Cedric Lang. Um, but there's there's definitely that hole there. I mean, Joey St. Pierre, yeah, but he's only uh, I guess he's listed at six ten. I thought I thought he was he's six eight. Yeah, he's I was, six, so I was gonna say I thought he was more of a six eight. eight but eight. Um, eight. I mean, if, you know, you look back at, at uh, what's the kid's name that they just left last year in midseason. I don't even remember his name anymore. They, Me neither. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he was he was beasting man his freshman year. Uh, Terry Wynn. Terry Wynn. Terry Wynn. <laughs> I can't even remember. I like Terry Wynn. <laughs> you know, Terry Wynn was, was a six eight guy that that went in there, and when we didn't have a wow. center, was he six five? I thought he was more six five, six eight. You know, even at that, you know, he's a guy that wasn't a six ten guy, but still went in there, played some center, and he he did pretty well. So if Joey St Pierre has any of that in him, we should be all right. But still, you know, that's another space you got to look at. You know, you got to fill that point guard, you got to fill that big spot. But how many scholarships are even available at this point? There's one more. I think I think well, I well, think two two. A two, two yeah, taken and I, two left? I, I think two. According to the verbal commits that I saw yesterday, I think there's two. I think they list one, but there's another one because obviously you're going to have Keith Frazier's. That's going to that's not going to be used. So. so here's another thing on the on the recruiting trail we didn't really talk about. I don't think we got into this last time. Um, and it's not really a recruiting trail, but to talk about the kid, uh, Raheem, Raheem Brown. Oh, yeah. I think I touched on him. Did you, I, I touched you touched on him, him on, the, on the solo? Yeah, the solo one, I gave a little. What I gave was your take? My, was your my take hot take was, you know what, it is what it is because he's a top 48 guy. He wasn't – he didn't sign a letter of commit. So that part of – it's college basketball. It's grimy. That shit's going to happen. That I mean, that stuff is really going to happen. I mean, you, 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 when, you, when you sign to these prop 48s, it's it's a bigger risk, I think, for the student than it is the coach because you have to pay yeah, your own definitely. way. You have to uproot from Brooklyn, New York. Yep. So it, it's a big risk. But my biggest issue of everything with it is that, you know, they didn't help the kid get home. And well, according to his tweets. Per, yeah. and, and that's what that's what I mentioned that. And, and, I, I, and I explained why we didn't want to write about it because with that situation, I wanted to get both sides exactly. of the story. But Tim Floyd is not going to comment on a kid that's, that's not signed. So it would have been a moot point for us. And, and it would have, it may have looked wrong if we would have just put, put Kaheem Brown's side out there. Like that's the truth. Well, there's obviously two sides of the story, but what really pissed me off for the whole thing was they didn't help the kid get a flight home. I mean, he's not, he this is not a kid from Dallas. He's not a kid from Houston or from even California. You're talking about Brooklyn, New York. That's a flight to a flight to a flight and maybe another flight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's just, I, I felt that part was handled wrong, but I mean, that yeah, just I shows mean, how, 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 how cutthroat college basketball recruits like, are. Like you said, there's two sides to every story, and that was my main point. We got his side, but we don't know the whole facts. I mean, I'm not saying he's lying, but anytime you put, you know, your side of the story out, you're going you're gonna to make it look like there's some, like you're, you know, on, a little more on the right than the other side of the, the argument is. But, you know, I would not put it past him, Floyd, for him to just kind of screw this kid over yeah. like that. Like that, that just to me – with, for a everything, kid. with everything that we've seen throughout the time that he's been here since day one, when Myron Strong got kicked off this team, when uh, um, who else was it? There was another kid that that uh, or no, it was uh, no, it was it was Arnett Moultrie. That's you right. know the way he came in, the way he treated Arnett Moultrie. I would not put it past him Floyd to do that to this kid. So I mean, again, there are two sides of every story, and I'll withhold complete judgment, but I wouldn't doubt. That 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 you know Brown's side of the story was was pretty accurate. Yeah, that's um, exactly was my take too. Well, what I will say though is that 
even though it is a very competitive world in college basketball and, you know, there's as a Prop 48 kid, there's always the chance that you're not going to have that scholarship come the next year. What I think is that the biggest problem is that you have these coaches that are selling them on that exact opportunity. They're not out there telling him, hey, come play for us, and maybe next year there's going to be a scholarship you, for you. We have, we for have you, a yeah. scholarship for you. And not only that, you know, hearing that this kid just had a baby, you know, and, and being an 18, 19-year-old kid having a baby and, no and, and saying that these coaches essentially told him even more so, hey, come down here, we'll help you out, we'll make sure that everything's taken care of with that. You know, that's yeah, huge. Yep, that's what kills I mean, too. that's big. And, and for them to do that to him, and then you add in all the other stuff of his family, you know, obviously he talks about how they're not that well off or anything like that, and they had to take out loans to come down here and, and pay for school and all sorts of stuff. To just kind of throw him out and, you know, toss him to the curb, man, that is, that's exactly what I have not liked about Tim Floyd this yeah. entire time. And maybe maybe we don't have the entire story with Tim Floyd, but it just happens so many times that it just, it, you know, it's just a whole fool me once, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. It just, it, you, you, keep saying, you keep seeing the same thing over and over and over. There's a trend there, and there's a common denominator there, and it's Tim Floyd. And, and I'm just, honestly, man, I, I'm, I'm over it. Like, you know, Tim Floyd has made the, the uh, argument multiple times of how, um, you know, it happened when, when uh, he got all over Cappy, right? When Kapowitz came out with that article or whatever it was, and he got all up on him and started talking about how X amount of percentage of college students transfer. And yeah. it's true, but I feel like beyond the transfers, we have so many other things that happened to this, to this program. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And it's just, man, it's just getting so old for me. And I, I, I feel for that kid Brown, I do too, um, you know, you hope for the best with him, but I mean, I hear you. It's it's a it's a business. It's it's a tough it's a tough world when it comes down to it. But you well, would think level, you would hope pretty shit pretty fucking it low. is it is. <laughs> but yeah. you would hope that they would at least tell him, hey, you're gonna have a chance to compete for your spot. Yeah, you know, you want to still walk on next because year. Because I, I I could definitely see Tim Floyd promising this kid uh uh retrieve that spot. You know what I'm and saying? Promise him a fucking fat meal at and you know what I'm like, a four star guy. Care, bro. I mean exactly. It's just, yeah, I mean it's, it's old man. It's old. And then when you're not winning, bro, it, it just it just adds salt to the wound man. And you're when you're not winning as a coach, your desperation goes to fucking Viagra levels. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, moving on from basketball, like I said, a couple of weeks away, we'll keep y'all abreast on anything that happens. I said the word breast on the radio. Uh, we'll see what happens with the basketball team over the next couple of weeks. Should be some interesting news coming out once basketball practice starts. I believe October 1st. Try to get that date for y'all. But let's move along to the Sun Bowl. Indians about to pull it to, to man. Row, man. Oh, oh, you're talking to football? Yeah. I was talking MLB, bro. Indians? About to pull 20 in a row. It'll be an Indians-Astros World Series as I rock my Astro gear today. <sighs> Justin Verlander on the hill, by the way, but Indians anyway. Astros aren't they both AL? That's, that's, that's um, well, we can check the tape. Pretty sure you said World Series. We'll check the we'll tape. Check the tape. <laughs> We're sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm flustered already. It's been a long day. I've been at it since 8 a.m. But um, either way, looking back at last week's game of rice, I mean, what a, you know, we knew we expected this, the Stanford. We weren't pissed. It is what it is. You know, that was the take. You know, we knew it was going to happen. Shit, I thought it was it was my prediction 63-7 or something like that. So, you know, that that was expected. But Rice, I mean, God, it was it was bad. I mean, it started offensively. No game plan once again. 
trying to stick that damn square peg in the round glory hole. That shit ain't going to fucking work. You know, no vertical passing until the end of the game. I mean, you're looking at what Rice was able to do defensively. It was simple. Once again, like every other Conference USA team, stack the box, bull rush the tackles, move one tackle back and, or one, one lineman. All you got to do in UTEP's run game is just, just, just disrupt, disrupt one gap. And it's over with. And that's what happened repeatedly. You know, couldn't protect Ryan Metz. Offensive line, which was heralded as one of the best in Conference USA, was just tore up basically by three players. I mean, Rice is not deep defensively. That's, they, all they really have is Brian Romack, the LRB kid, and that Padgett kid. And all three of those guys seem to be in the backfield on every fucking play. You know, it, you can't put that on Ryan Metz. You can't put that on the players. I, I, I will not. I will, I'm going to be the one that's going to tell you that UTEP does have the talent to compete in Conference USA. UTEP does have that talent. This coaching staff continues to be inept in their game planning. It's lazy to me. Call, call me what you want, whatever it is. I'm calling the high seat. It's, it's lazy. It's repetitive. It's non-creative. And, and, and they continually keep themselves behind the eight ball. Now let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Where's the fucking technique? Where is the fucking fundamentals? It is it, – it, it's, it's crazy – how much Rice was able to, to really use their misdirection, use their option, and, and, and really expose how bad UTEP is in their tackling, in their fits, in, in their gap control. I mean, it, it's really crazy to see how flustered Tom Mason's defenses get against misdirection and against option. And it's, it, it's, just, it's not going to work. And, and, and you know what? I don't even want to really get into the fighting on the sidelines, this and that. That was something other media made a big deal. I come from a football locker room, you know, where that shit's going to happen. I mean, you, it's going to happen. Luckily, I played on some pretty damn good football teams where we never had that. But, you know, there was a couple of times in practice where somebody said something somebody didn't like or somebody didn't agree with what, what was going on. And you talk shit. As long as it that's, doesn't become a trend. Yeah, and I don't think that's a big deal. My more concern is, is – the lack of improvement and the lack of, of, of progress from this coaching staff. We just, we don't see an improved passing game. We don't see this offensive line continuing to get better. We don't see creativity offensively where you, there's route concepts where, you know, you're spreading people out and, and, and you're also doing what you want to do and pounding the ball. We're not seeing that. It, it, it is elementary basic stuff. And it's crazy because Sean Cougar last fucking week talked about how, crucial this is and how you know what we're starting conference play early we have to be different we have to get off this slow start and it's the same shit that's been happening since 2013 in terms of game planning it's at this point it's not working it's not working and honestly with the way that that he's been able to to recruit some areas really well and some areas kind of neglect that it's not going to get done under Sean Cougar, in my opinion. No, and, and, and I have a lot of respect for Sean Cougar. And this is the first time that I'm going to come out on a minor rush form and call out his call for his job. But, you know, I'm going to look at the good side first of what he's done. And we've probably repeated this so many times, the, the education factor, you know, the fact that guys aren't transferring in and out of the program as well, that he's able to think outside the box and kind of recruit for needs in his system, uh, you know, the, the overall way that he's ran the program from a, from a discipline standpoint, all that is wonderful. I love that. I love that he recruits El Paso. I love that, that he graduates players. I, I love that part of it. And I like Sean Cooper, the man, but the football part of it, it it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. These injuries are piling up because teams know already teams are playing faster than they need to be. 
that's you know you could call injuries freak injuries or whatever. I'm gonna call that inept coaching because teams already know what. Te- I mean, I don't know if you saw there was one play where Rice ran like a, a misdirection and like three of our dudes get blindsided on the same play and it, it looked bad. Like it was just like what this is not Division One football right here. And to me, that's on coaching. You're putting players in positions where the, you've done it the previous weeks, the previous two years. It makes it an offensive coordinator. A professional offensive coordinator. I call college offensive coordinators college receivers going professionals. It makes them that easy to put their players in a position where they're going to beat your ass every down. And it's just it's it, you've got to blow this up. It's this new AD. You know, I'm not for firing midseason, but what we're seeing now, it, it's got to happen. It's really got to happen. Not only that, but but you know, Sean Cougar's demeanor in these press conferences where he comes in there and he already is going to bark at the media because he doesn't want to take he's tough Floyd. questions. He's Tim Floyd. He's, he's turned into exactly what Tim exactly. Floyd is with the media. Exactly. You know, yeah. that sour old man, essentially, of just not being able to get it done, underproducing, underachieving. You know, and, yeah, it's great. And, and we see the same thing in basketball. You know, when we talk about this talent that he brings in and the way he's able to recruit and that kind of stuff, it's all great, but it doesn't matter if it's not if it's not translating into wins. Or competitiveness. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think we're realistic when we look at UTEP football. I think we understand. Uh, we're definitely we're not. Def- <laughs> we're definitely not. No. Every season we come in expecting a ball. But, 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 but we know. But you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, we know it's UTEP. Yeah, but we want right. to see progress. I, 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 would, what, I wouldn't be pissed me, off with a 30-30 loss to Rice in the game in the 30s. disappoints me more than anything is just the fact that he is unwilling to make changes. And we've seen this over and over and over. And you can go back. Y'all can listen to these podcasts for three, four years now. Even when we had Aaron Jones, we would talk about the same thing. I mean, it's like we're on damn repeat because it's just the same thing over and over and over. And at this point, you're not going to be anybody like that. We don't have the offensive talent anymore. And I'm sorry, I know you're a big fan of Ryan Metz. I thought he was a capable quarterback. I thought he's able to manage the offense, but he's not going to be that quarterback that goes out and, and it just wows you and makes these plays and leads the offense down the field on these on these drives. Luke's coming in with the fire. <laughs> we were talking about the podcast, but um, it, it, it just it, it, we don't have the offensive firepower right now. And and continuing to do the same things that have not worked week after week. It's just frustrating, and I'll tell you what it does. You know, I, I saw a comment about some some bullshit about like, oh, you know, great crowd on Saturday night. It's like, what? what oh like, yeah. What are you talking about? Half of those people like, were ripping what? your ass on the sidelines in the fourth who quarter. Who cares about half of the people? There were nineteen thousand people for a season opener. Wait, nineteen thousand people announced. How many were actually in that stadium? Sixteen to eighteen, maybe. Maybe that 18. is absolutely pathetic. For a university, a Division One university with a stadium that holds fifty-two thousand, that does not have anything else to compete with on an opening night is, of all that things. is absolutely pathetic. And I agree. And, and Sean Cougar's the only one to blame. But you know what? A, a friend of mine made an interesting point. Um, he essentially said that that Cougar wasn't ready to be a coach. Uh, he wasn't ready to be a head coach. Hey, let me he tell said, you how why. Often, or I'll, I'll give you. I, I want to hear it. But he says, how often do you see position coaches? jump straight to being a head coach. He's like, you see, you know, you see coordinators, you see offensive coordinators, you see defensive coordinators jump to head coach. You might see a quarterback's coach jump to being a head coach because they're pretty close to being a coordinator, offensive coordinator. When the hell do you ever see an offensive line coach jump straight to head coach, regardless if he's the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line coach or not? I agree. I mean, and and the big thing for me is is you look at his – 
I, I, I'm looking at this at, at from a college football standpoint. And, I mean, some of your best college football head coaches, your Dabo Sweeney's, your, your Nick Saban's, you know, yes, they're blessed with great assistants. They're, great, they're best with great assistant, um, assistant coaches' money pool to being able to hire the best. But at the same time, these are the same guys that will go there and, and will jump in that offensive huddle and will jump in that defensive huddle and make an adjustment themselves. You know what I mean? That, Mike Price would do that. And maybe not so much on the defensive side of the ball, but offensively. You just, just there, There's certain guys that are – that certain teams, certain programs that need that hands-on approach. And Sean Cougar lets everything go to his assistants, every fucking detail. And you know what? That could work at the NFL level, no doubt about it. I mean, if you're not cutting it at the NFL, you're gone by week three. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There'll probably be some defensive coordinators cut in the first six weeks. Just watch that. And obviously, you guys know the NFL, but I just think that the, the, the leeway that Sean gives his assistants, and he's not hiring great assistants. No, he's not. Let's start with my boy Chuck Valise. I'm about to rip Chuck Valise's ass right here. I really don't care. Chuck Valise. Chuck Valise. Chuck Valise. <laughs> I never lost to Chuck Valise in my high school career. Let me just start off by saying that. When why? Because he's a terrible game manager. He's a terrible gambler. So we knew coming into the game, it's funny that I, I really remember my defensive line saying, the coach saying this, let's just play hard and let, him, let, let their coaching staff lose the game. Well, UTEP has had 10 drops out of their wide receivers, pass catchers over the past couple of games, and he's the new wide receiver coach. Chuck Valise never won past the second round of the playoffs in El Paso. Chuck Willis had one really good Division I player in Eddie Britton. He's your wide receiver coach. You're replacing a really good recruiter, a really good offensive mind in Theron H, who probably is probably continuing. If he continues to grow, he's going to be an FBS offensive coordinator. And you replace him with Chuck Willis. And, and you wonder why? Your receivers Bro, have nine drops know, in, we know in, what in a couple is, games. It's, it's the homie hires. It's the homie, it's it's, the homie it's, hires. And, and not only one. that, okay, and now let me kind of side a little bit, maybe with Sean Cook. Maybe he doesn't have the budget to go out there and, and hire anybody. You know, but you're but, telling me that the best guy you can get exactly. is, is, is a high school I agree. Coach. Come so on so maybe Cougar has his hands tied with there, but come on, bro. I mean, come on. I mean, some you just it, – it's – if you're going to coach the way Sean Cougar is coaching, you better have assistants that are at the top of their game, that are getting paid top money, that are held recruiters. And I don't see that from this football team. If, if, if the, the question that I asked them on, on Monday, and, and it, kind of, it, it kind of just parlayed into my take here, because I asked him, okay, Coach, you've said – this is the first question in the press conference, go back and ask. He said fix so many fucking times in his career. And I said, Coach, you've said fix so many times you know, when you're trying to fix and get this right, where do you start with this particular team? And he says fundamentals. And I say from a football background, well, what the fuck were you doing in camp? What the fuck were your assistants doing in camp? Where, where is the where's the fundamentals drilled there? Where now it's about, oh, let's execute our scheme and let's execute our game plan. Let me, let me say this real so quick. So that, that's what really grinded my gears. Okay, when, talking, when you talking about, about fundamentals. That. Let me ask you how fundamentals are going to fix this, okay? Rushing offense through two weeks, these are the stats, okay, for, for in all of FBS. And mind you that there are 130 30 teams, okay? Okay, rush offense, 127. <laughs> Offensive line coach, talking about the, we, we love to run the ball and, and this great offensive line and whatnot. But 127th hired. in the nation. Passing offense, 111th. 
total offense, 129th out of 130 teams. Now, the only reason, the only reason that we're 129 and not 130 is because Florida played Michigan week one, who's got a great defense, and then they didn't play last week because they had that game canceled. So they only had one game against a great defense. But that's the only reason we're not 130th right now. Now, let's go to the other side. We talk about rush defense, 117th in the nation. Pass defense, 115th in the nation. Total defense, 125th in the nation. And scoring defense, 124th in the nation. This is beyond, beyond fixable at this point. This team is on a a course for 1992. And I just picked that year because I assume that was one of the two in 10 years or whatever it is. And we'll be lucky. We'll be lucky. I may, I, may, I may catch some grief for being so harsh and being such a hater. But you know, what's, you know what the, sad, the saddest part is? A lot of you all that have, have followed Minor Rush for, for years now know how big of a fan I was. Oh, how Mike. much of no, – no, just, not just Mike Price. Not just not – just, I'm oh, talking I about got you. I got you. I got sports, you. Yeah. Period. I know where you're going. I mean, I, I was such, such a big fan of UTEP sports for so many years. And it's, it's this leadership in Bob Stoll that I blame it on. I even go to Natalicio for refusing to spend money on personnel and for allowing Bob Stoll to come in here and make these homie hires. hires and and that, you know, then you talk about Tim Floyd and Sean Kruger and the way that they've run their programs and, and their, the lack of success that they've had and just the way everything has gone with them. It has turned me from a huge fan into a person that truthfully, honestly, does not care if this team wins or loses. How sad is that, man? I agree. Like, I went from being a complete diehard fan to just being like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. It, it's just so sad. If, how, it, if how it wasn't for Minor Rush, I wouldn't be going to fucking games. It, I, so wouldn't be, I wouldn't be going to. And, and these, you know what's sad is that the players deserve your our support. Yeah, they do. The players are out there giving it their all. It's not their fault. It's, I don't think it is. But these coaches do not. They do not deserve – do not deserve – our, our support. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, five. you know, th- this isn't about like, Oh, you, you got to support UTEP and you're a UTEP fan. You're not a coach fan, whatever. No, this is the way things work in this business. And if you continue to support, then he continues to have his job. And if he continues to have his job, then we continue to lose. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. And we've, and, we've said it so many times on this podcast, we're not here to call for people's jobs, but when you, when this is a continual habitual every year, game in and game out type of deal, it's time. It, it, this is not just us being irrational, us being crazy. We this have is, literally regressed 25 years yeah. under Sean Cooper. That's that, and we right. have literally gone back. Game over. 25 years. Game over. That that's the only. That, we just we talked for almost 20 minutes about it, but that what you said right there should be should let a, a, a lot of you diehard UTEP fans, which everybody is, is listening to this. That you should know, be the end. I felt right like there. I felt like we really dug ourselves out of the cellar. With you know, starting with Gary Nord and that that co-championship that they had in 2000, I think it was, and then you know talking about the Mike Price era and a few bowl games, but it was always competitive and like I felt like we had transformed ourselves into you know from being the cellar dweller and and just a laughing stock in college football that was getting beat. I mean, we talk about those scores, man, when they're 72 to seven and 63 to 20, and it's just you know getting just steamrolled every single game. You know, we Charlie had, Bailey. Crawled and, and clawed our way out of that cellar, and we have been thrown right back in there by Sean Kugler. And it's just so sad. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this real quick. Um, and I'm not gonna write about it. And I would ask you not to write about it. It's just for the. It's just a, a little scoop exclusive. For the, exclusive. Tweet that. It's just a little Tweet exclusive that. for the for the fans that actually listen to this podcast. 
Okay, so um, we've talked a lot about, about Bob Stahl obviously leaving, uh, retiring, and, and who he's going to be replaced. So my sources, if you will, the word on the street is that the, the brass at UTEP really do like um, Stephanie, and I don't even know if it's her last name or how to pronounce her last name, Remp, Rempy. Rempy. From uh, from Texas A&M, she's the second in command. She's the deputy director of, of athletics at Texas A&M. She's had chops at, at Arizona, at Washington. She was here briefly at UTEP uh, when she first graduated from Arizona. Uh, I don't know exactly what what role she had, but she's been a part of the the WAC, the Pac-12, uh, the Big 12. So that's a and the and, and now obviously the SEC. So that uh, from what I know is the number one on the list. While apparently the number one for um, Bob Stahl is, is Chris Park, and, and he's trying to, you know, put in a word for Chris Park to become that athletic director. Obviously, Chris Park has played a, a big role in the athletics department over the last few years. I won't talk anything bad about Chris Park, but just, you know, just to just, chew on that. Just to chew on that. But I, I think personally, if it's me making the decision, it, it needs to be a complete change, yeah. man. It needs to be a complete change. No I don't even know if, if Rempy would be interested. I don't know if we could even afford her, but, you know, I would much rather go in that direction and nothing against Chris Park, but I would just much rather go in that direction because it's time for just a complete, complete shakeup. A Salome within this athletic department. All right. So let's, let's turn it over to uh, our boy from our SB nation sister site. Uh, What is it? Desert swarm. My bad. Yeah. It's nice. Rick, how's it going tonight, man? It's going well, guys. How are you doing? Doing great, doing great, man. Appreciate your time joining us. Uh, not a absolutely. I, looking at this Arizona, I was looking, kind of glancing over at their advanced stat profile earlier today. Shout out to the Connolly for those. I love those things, by the way. What is your takeaway uh, so far through two games? You guys blasted North, Northern Arizona. A game, you know, looking back at last week at Houston, the game probably a lot of Arizona fans feel that you know the Cats should have won. What's kind of your overall take uh, of this team so far through two games? Can you kind of bite and chew, or is it still too early, too early in the year to kind of make a final determination on what this team will look like? Yeah, well, I, I think what we're, uh, we're we've kind of got an identity crisis at the moment, and uh, you know, it's not a good one, especially when it comes from the quarterback spot. Um, you know, and offensively, uh, we always have a pretty potent running game, and this this year is no different. Uh, we've probably got about four backs um, who who can be uh, you know starters, um, you know, in a lot of places in the Pac-12, um, and uh, and and a pretty deep group there. Um, but we have a a group of wide receivers that. Um, quite frankly, we, we, we flipped over last year and, uh, and, and have a few new ones that we're adding to the group um, and guys that haven't produced before. So that combined with um, the fact that we have, uh, you know, quarterback controversy between Brandon Dawkins and, uh, and um, uh, Khalil Tate at the moment, uh, you know, really is leading us to uh, have some identity crisis issues at the moment. And uh, we're looking to try and uh, recover and, 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 you know, move forward and, and figure out which direction to go. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, I'll, I will say that we have a good young defense, and that's something that we were sorely lacking last year. We were, um, you know, last in many statistical categories in the Pac-12. Um, but this year we seem to have a, a really young crop of, uh, of good cornerbacks, good linebackers that we brought in, uh, you know, from California. 
um, and uh, and you know a majority of the West Coast. So we've uh, we're really excited about that group, and and I think it's going to be a, you know a solid um, you know a, a solid group moving forward, and it's going to be fun to watch in the Pac-12. But yeah, we've we've uh, we've kind of got an identity crisis on our hands. Rick, you talk about that identity crisis, and just looking at the box score from game one to game two. Um, you know, game one against Northern Arizona, you, you run the ball 47 times, obviously have great success, uh, only 14 passes, over 10.8 uh, yards per carry on, on those 47 carries, over 500 yards. And then you come into game two against Houston, and you rushed the ball 39 times. So it wasn't so much less, but you threw the ball 37 times. And, and I did get to catch a little bit of, of that game, mostly in the second half, but it seemed like it was more game planning. I mean, was that – was that something that you all saw with Houston as far as trying to expose something with their secondary or trying to throw the ball a little more? Or how do, how do you see that playing out? How do you see it coming into a game like against UTEP where are they going to be trying to pass the ball more or do you think they're going to go back to that rushing attack? Yeah, well, um, first I'll say that Nick Wilson, who is, is supposed to be our number one running back, um, was injured and was out uh, for the Houston game. So um, that, uh, that kind of forced us to put in our smaller back, J.J. Taylor, um, you know, who so far this season has 131 yards, is a pretty dynamic back uh, both in, in rushing and receiving. Um, I think at the end of the day what, what you guys kind of probably saw in that Houston game was we really went and tried to establish the run um, and then we, in the second quarter, we really pushed it to try and throw downfield a little bit more. And um, when we didn't find success in that passing game, which is pretty common thus far under Brandon Dawkins, um, we had to kind of resort to, to that running game. I think uh, a lot of Arizona fans right now will probably tell you that um, they're a little bit frustrated with the play calling and how um, and, and, and how inconsistent it's been, um, especially, uh, you know, in a third and sixth situation we had, um, we decided to throw the ball 40 yards down the field. Um, and then uh, we were down at the goal line later on in the game um, and had basically three straight runs off a read option up the middle um, with one of the uh, smaller backs on the team. So, um, you know, I think if, for, for Arizona fans, it's really a frustrating, um, you know, view of, of what we're trying to get accomplished because you have, um, you know, Brandon Dawkins, who is a dynamic runner um, and, and, you know, has a good arm on him, um, but doesn't make the quickest reads. And I think you can kind of see that, especially as, um, you know, the passing games evolved a little bit. And then you have Khalil Tate, who, um, you know, quite frankly, is, uh, is a very good runner, not nearly as good as Brandon Dawkins. Um, but I think reads the field a little bit better um, and also will come out and, uh, and, and um, you know, throw, uh, you know, a lot of deep patterns, a lot of posts, um, and, uh, and, and really try and push the offense down the field. So I think what you guys will see um, you know, from the UTEP side is uh, we'll probably end up starting out with Brandon Dawkins uh, on, on Friday, I would anticipate, um, and Rich Rodriguez hasn't, hasn't said anything. Um, that would lead me to think differently on that. But I would think that uh, Khalil Tate will be heavily involved as well uh, from our end. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing, guys, you talk about stats going through this. Uh, Brandon Dawkins is seen as our dynamic runner, but um, basically he has twice as many rushing attempts as does Khalil Tate, and uh, they have almost the same yardage. So what that tells me is that, um, you know, we're not losing too much by going to Khalil Tate, um, and his passing ability is better. Uh, but, again, you know, I'm not a head coach, so Rich Rodriguez is going to have the final say on that. Rick Denise joining us from Wildcat Radio and AZ. There's a storm. Check them out at Wildcat Radio AZ. Uh, looking at the defensive side of the ball, you mentioned the young defense and three of your top tacklers so far uh, for the first two games are all freshmen. 
one thing Sean Cougar really, really hinted at is, is the way that, that Arizona's been able to take away the ball. Is that kind of a, a new thing for the Arizona defense? Is, like you mentioned last year, Arizona's defense was, was kind of everywhere in terms of disaster. Is that something that you can see that consistently going week to week and where Arizona's ability to, to turn you over? And, and is that kind of a key to this defense and the big, biggest improvement mark on this defense? Yeah, I, I think when you look at the defense, uh, right now Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, um, who uh, kind of is our, our roaming safety, um, he's got three of those interceptions and is uh, in top five nationally. Um, so he's he's really raked in, you know, more, most of those turnovers. We've only had it looks like one fumble recovery thus far. So uh, we don't have a whole you know a whole lot of um, you know margin for error in terms of getting turnovers. I will say this: um, through two games, that is drastically different than last year and what we were able to do in terms of, um, you know, turning teams over and, and, you know, getting the ball in plus territory on our end. I think it'll change quite a bit when we uh, face, you know, higher level offenses in the Pac-12. But, you know, going off of Northern Arizona and and Houston, um, and I don't think Houston's offense was anything to write home about, um, they have been very successful. I will say this. Um, you made a great point in, in that we have um, three, actually close to 50% of our top 10 tacklers are a freshman, uh, redshirt freshman, or sophomore, so underclassmen. So we've got a lot of good young talent, it looks like, that was brought in. Um, and being under the system, especially with Marcel Yates coming over from Boise State in year two, um, I think what we've seen is uh, – a lot more, um, a, a lot quicker rate of learning uh, by these young freshmen and uh, you know those sophomores um, to kind of pick their game up and and um, and you know create those opportunities that we can possibly uh, work with in terms of turnovers. Um, I will say as well, one thing that we are going to look for um, is potentially a, a better output from the defensive line. We're still very undersized um, and and we'll probably have quite a few problems when we get in the Pac-12 play. Uh, but overall. You know, we're really confident and we're really excited about the defense, um, more so than we've been in the past couple of years. And, and uh, obviously under Rich Rodriguez, defense is never a staple, but we look for that to change, hopefully. Kind of looking past Friday for a second, um, you know, UTEP is obviously the, you know, the worst team with the, with the worst S&P ranking, that S&P Plus ranking, the rest of the way. How important is this, I guess, from a fan base standpoint, to kind of see – Arizona come in here and handle business and, and improve any deficiencies that, that anybody thinks they may have because it doesn't get easier at all once Pac-12, once Pac-12 play hits. So, I mean, how important is it for Arizona to really kind of just have a complete game against UTEP, not only for the sake of, of being 2-1, and one, but to carry some of that good momentum, that good juju that you guys have been able to build, even going back to last week despite that loss to Houston. I mean, how important is that for this team early in the year? Yeah, I think it's vitally important. And, and one thing that, that we look at is, is hopefully this is a stepping stone um, and, and a game which we play both quarterbacks and we identify who is going to be that starter heading into, uh, you know, the first week uh, you know, against Utah. And I think it's vitally important that, um, you know, they figure that passing game out. I think the, ru- the rushing game will be there. Um, you, you guys aren't terribly effective against the, the, uh, against the rush, it looks like. Um, on the surface, but um, I think in the passing game is really what they need to emphasize and really what they need to figure out. And I mean, just to give you uh, give you something to watch for uh, from our end, our uh, our tight end Bryce Wilma uh, was actually the leading receiver, which was our tight end 
uh, last game. So whenever your tight end is your leading receiver, that's not a good sign uh, of things to come. And, and I think, uh, you know, in terms of building confidence and, and you know, leading through um, this game and, and moving into Utah, you know, we need a strong start against you guys. And, and obviously, you know, we're expecting a, a pretty good fight from your end as well. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. Once again, we're talking to Rick D. Nice of Wildcat Radio from our sister station, sister site, uh, AZ Desert Swarm over to the SB Nation site. Uh, Rick, of course, we always got to ask, and you don't have to be gentle with us. Take the gloves uh, off, my man. Take the gloves off. 8.15 kickoff this Friday. Uh, what oh, it? that's ES- late as ESPN? hell. ESPN or ESPN? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much for going out on the day. The only ESPN uh, game. So what's your take? How's this game going to play out? Well, I think uh, I think what we're looking at um, is is probably a heavy Russian attack to start off with, um, and I would imagine that uh, you know we we have a pretty strong um, you know uh, passing game that develops out of that just based off of the fact that um, you know um, you know we've got two or three receivers that they need to get rolling, and I think we're going to see a lot of pass attempts. So whether we can capitalize on that. Um, I'm not sure yet, but I, I would anticipate that we'll get that passing game rolling a little bit on you guys. Um, from defensively, um, I would anticipate you guys, um, you know, potentially moving the ball against us on the ground. Um, you know, I, I definitely think that's the weaker end of, uh, you know, our game at the moment. Um, but looking at your stats basically from Rice and, and obviously from your game against Oklahoma, um, you know, I, I think that offensively, you know, there's a lot to be desired probably from your end as well. So um, the way that I see this thing playing out is probably a 42 to 10 line. Um, I know that we're sitting at a minus 24. I almost would take that and, and kind of run with it. Um, but, yeah, I think 42 to 10 is probably what we're looking at. That's fair. I mean, I don't think I can really I can complain disagree. about that. I can't that, disagree with that. <laughs> hey, Rick, we thank you a lot for joining us, and we look forward to working with more, more with you all throughout the week. And uh, good luck to y'all Friday. Hope hope for the best for y'all, but we'll see how it all plays out. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Appreciate being on. Yes, uh, he said a key word there, or a key term. Take it and run with it? Nah. <laughs> we talked about, when he talked about the tight end being the leading receiver, and I'm thinking, well, normally, he already said tight end being re- leading receiver isn't a good thing. Yeah. Well, that's our passing game. So, yeah, well, good luck to yeah, I, I mean, look. I honestly think, okay, so after all this hate that I've spewed, right? Oh, I, I really, I really, I'm not, we're not going to win this game. There's no, nothing <laughs> like that. But I really think that this is going to be similar to what we saw from like those Texas Tech games. That, I, I think like, it's, just, it it's just one of those games, it, and it happens so often in UTEP sports, right? Yeah. Where, where we don't belong in a game or like a game that we should belong in, like Rice, we, we, we just completely yeah. come out and shit the bed. And then all of a sudden we turn around in a game where everybody's like, man, they're going to get blown out, and all of a sudden we're hanging in. And I'm not saying we're going to win. It'll likely end up being a 14-point loss, 21-point loss, something like that. They may cover if we come out and shit the bed again. But I just have a feeling that this is going to be one of those games. You know, Sean Cooper's on the ropes. He's got to get his team ready. He's got to get them fired up. You know, they're playing on ESPN, national TV, Friday night, whatever. You know, I, I just – just something tells me that this is one of those games where UTEP doesn't belong in. They're going to come out. They're going to score one early. Um, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I, obviously Mets isn't in good shape to play, I right? I don't, I don't, they haven't I announced officially, play. but, um, you know, something's going to happen. Greenlee's going to throw a long TD pass. Something's going to happen, and, and we're going to be up, you know, early 7-0 or something like that, and it's going to kind of give us just a little bit of a, 
of a nudge to kind of stay and hang around, make it a 21-10 game at the half or something like that, and just kind of hang around, just just be in the in the ballpark still. You see, I thought that two weeks ago. I that was my exact take two weeks ago against Oklahoma or you no, think about against, Arizona against, against like, like about this Arizona game two weeks ago. I really felt no matter what happened in the first two games, it would be that type of situation. I think I even told a couple people that, but. I I gotta disagree. I mean, I, I gotta like half like halfway be the devil's advocate I mean, and say thing. like after no, the first two weeks. But you you could be no, right. Here's the thing. Like I, I'm not saying it's based off of any facts or stats or yeah. anything like that. We don't just, be, like, ha- yeah. we don't belong in this game. Like if if everything goes according to the way things have gone the last two weeks, we're gonna get our yeah. asses. They might put up sixty on us. Yeah. yeah. But I just there's just that's true. Something. You're right. Like, there's just something. I don't know what it is, but there, I just. We'll see, man. We'll see. It just, man, you know, it just fires me up. I mean, it's just looking at these rushing numbers for UTEP, these advanced stats, and, you know, the rushing success rate, 34.6%. Your stuff rate, you're getting stuffed 20, at 22% of the time. I mean, that's not going to happen. That's not going to work. And then you go to our defensive side and what Arizona has been able to do good, 130th against defending rushing success rate. And rushing success rate is basically not getting stopped behind the line of scrimmage. So basically any plus yardage is considered kind of success rate. So teams are have, are getting yardage on 63, 63% of our runs, the runs against it. That's last in the nation. The national average is 41.3%. I mean, that right there is it, that's a huge concern for this game. And like he mentioned, they have a multiple stable running backs. They have the little, the short guy. They, and then not only that, but the option with the two athletic quarterbacks, I just, in def, I'm really scared about this game from a defensive standpoint where they could really explode for, for 60 points and only run the ball maybe like 30 times, but have 300 plus yards because of big plays. That's my biggest concern in this game is the big plays on the rush game. I think that's kind of where I feel like this could get ugly early because there's going to be a lot of busts. I mean, it's, it's proven. Go back to the SMU days well, under under uh, under Tom Mason. Tom Mason cannot stop the option. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe he ch- maybe something happens. Maybe they drink a, that Michael Jordan special potion this week or some shit, and they stop the run. But I, I, that just really concerns me when you look at UTEP's advanced stats and what, you know, the power success rate. Teams really haven't even ran that much power. I think the only team that really ran power was Rice. I mean, 60, 77%. Of the time teams line up in a power formation, they're having success. I mean, it's, it's it's just really tough to see this getting turned around. Like you mentioned, how bad the overall stats were. When you look deeper into other stats, it's just it's hard to see a one week miraculous UTEP improvement. Honestly, the way that it's going to happen is if Arizona shits the bed. If Arizona doesn't come out and take care of their business, then they'll leave UTEP hanging around. I just think UTEP is that wounded duck. They're that Conor McGregor in the eighth round trying to trying to hang with the you know trying to hang trying to stand up and it's just somebody's going to throw a blow to this UTEP team here early in the year. Hell, it could have already happened. It could happen this Friday. I just I don't have any confidence in this coaching staff to being able to remedy what we've seen in, in week one and week two. That it just, it just looks like a lost cause, and I just I feel for the players. I feel for the players, and I feel for the players that, that 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 are diehards that have stuck through it that are continuing to support and you know this is what this is the product they're getting put out there so I'm going to go Arizona 55 UTEP 13 I, I see UTEP maybe being able to move the ball a little bit more and, and, and getting into maybe getting to the red zone once or twice but I mean I, just, let me, I don't I don't have any confidence let me say this. this I expect them to, to put up a better effort than they did against Rice that I do expect I don't know what the final score is going to be but I expect a better effort than they put up against Rice 
But, you know, Rick talked about them trying to get the passing game going more. Um, and I think, you know, maybe they need that for their program, you know, for their for their team Pac-12 for this year, play. for Pac-12 play to see what they've got. But I think that's kind of, it, it, you know, that's what the Miners would like them to do is for them to pass try, the ball. Try to chuck it around. You, you know, because, because, well, what we've seen so far, I mean, you look at what they did against Northern Arizona, which I think is probably much more comparable to UTEP than Houston is. You know, they rushed 47 times for 506 yards and 10.8 yards of carry. When you talk about us being the 120-whatever-ranked rushing defense in the nation, that's not for no reason. And and if they decide to run the ball against us, we're going to have a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. So, I mean, if they do try to throw the ball around, I mean, we'll see what's going to happen. I, I just – I really do expect – I really do expect them to put up a, a better effort against them. I mean, again, it's national TV – um, I don't see, I don't see the 40 point win. I just, I just don't see it. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't predict a win by any means. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that they keep it under the spread. How about that? Okay. I mean, I, I'll just, I'll say that much. That's, that's about as far that's as I can opinion. go with that. I can't disagree with your opinion. <laughs> that's, that's about as far as I can go with that. But, um, another good episode of the rush, a little quick, uh, news, uh, a couple things. Vince Hunter signed with the uh, two-way deal with the uh, the uh, Memphis VH. Grizzlies. You go VH. Um, so you he's know bought. he's got a shot to make that that squad this year. Had Obviously, a few couple copies. Of yeah, Memphis. yeah. He he played with Memphis in the summer league, and he also played with Pre-season, them last right? year. He had a, a two-way deal with them last year, I believe. Obviously, played overseas some. Um, also, Jamil Showers waved a couple hours ago. Oh, yeah, the Cowboys waved him from the practice squad. squad. They uh, they're picking up a, a wide receiver to fill a spot there. So. Um, you know, a couple Damn, little tidbits be, there of minor news. Aaron but, Jones was inactive last week. Yeah, hey, well, we didn't even mention that, but what was going on with that? I mean, I was, I was kind of, I didn't know going into the game whether he, whether or not he was actually going to play. Get I think it's between that the Mays, Devonte Mays, Mays, and then know, I think did did the Williams. I didn't, I watched the second half of that game, but I didn't really. I, I didn't. Pay I, I didn't see. I didn't. Look I watched at some of the first because I was hoping to see him, and then I said, you know what, is he even dressed? And I and I looked up on Twitter, you know, Aaron Jones and. Saw that you know he wasn't active and um, had a clean a few people, chain, uh, chain on. The <laughs> a, a few people were kind of you know Packer fans were kind of not upset but just a little shocked. Kind of like, like why is yeah you know I thought Aaron Jones had a hundred yards rushing in the preseason. Um, you know I expect him to get some touches you know coming up here in the next few weeks. Maybe it was just a matchup. I don't know. You but, know the big thing for me watching Aaron Jones is that he scored his first two touchdowns in the passing game. That's huge. Yeah. To me, you know, what, what we Green knew, Bay we is. knew that he's always been an all-around back. Yeah. He's obviously got everything when he runs the ball, but, I mean, he can catch the ball to the backfield. He can block. I mean, he can do it all. Now, obviously, it's a different level at the yeah, NFL, yeah. but, you know, he's still able to do a bit of everything out of the backfield. So, I mean, that's never been in question. And we've talked about it since, since almost day one that this kid was going to be playing on so, Sundays. Yeah. We knew that. I mean, that was just so apparent. Isn't it crazy, though, when, when you see those types of talent? Yeah. You know, when you just when you see that they're just head and shoulders above the rest and you just know this kid's gonna make it. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh wish you know, wish Aaron the best. Oh, Roy Robertson uh, Harris, uh too. He, uh, yeah, he, he made that pick. I think he's like well. a backup. He's uh, a, but he's a special team starter. Another I mean, another quick note, John Dornbos haven't heard anything, but John Dornbos, yeah. former minor, had to go undergo open heart surgery. He got traded uh from New the Orleans from the Eagles to New Orleans. Yeah. Is that right? He was still with the and Eagles, that trade right? may have probably saved his life exactly, if they didn't run it was that, that physical. physical that they found that there was a, a, a um, I'm sorry, what's the word? A uh, clot? Not a clot. It was a um, aneurysm, right? Or not, yeah. No, that, was that, it something? I don't know, but that word sounds better. Don't, I don't want to mis- misspeak, but yeah, he has some kind of issue. 
they found it had to do open heart surgery and um, I haven't heard anything, but I think he's okay. So, you know, a couple of magician things about the minors in the former minors there. Anything about Cedric Lang? Did he, did he make the practice squad? I think he was on a practice squad. I, yeah, you know, but it, it was with damn. I saw that tweet. I not Denver tweet. I think it's like Detroit or so. Not he didn't make it I don't Denver. think he made it with Denver, but somebody picked. I may be wrong on that because I just saw a tweet. But yeah, he's on a practice squad somewhere. So that, I mean, honestly, whoever was that scout that or scout or coach whoever decided to put Cedric Lang on an offensive line, regardless if he plays a snap in the NFL, yep. that's pretty smart. And he looks huge. He's, man. Yeah, he looks he's, Huge. I mean, he's obviously already six a nine, man, but yeah. on some weight, and he looks like a massive offensive lineman. But there you all have it. Another episode of the Rush Podcast in the books this Friday night, eight fifteen in the Sun Bowl. Miners taking on the Arizona Wildcats, and uh, that'll be on ESPN. I mean, I, I think that sucks. <laughs> like that's just gonna detract from people going to the game, man. Like you know that you'll have, a, a, you know, some people show up, like. You know, more than last week, you would assume, but at the same time, like, it was not going to be a, a, to its full potential because it's nationally televised. So then ESPN squishes their cameras yeah. to the other side. So that way, like, 15 kickoff in the summer. Make sure you get your tickets. Make sure you're out there supporting the, the players. And, uh, well, there you have it. You'll know where to find us minorrush.com, uh, SBNMinorrush at gmail.com, at SBNMinorrush on Twitter, Facebook.com slash minorrush. And subscribe at on Chulo on uh, oh, yeah, Instagram. So that Instagram hit him up on Tinder. Open. Hit him up on POF. All that <laughs> shit. <laughs> Y'all have a good one, man.